Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Suspense author, historical researcher Steve Ubaney is standing by, and he'll be here for the full two hours to discuss his latest in his Who Murdered series of books. Previously, Stephen has published Who Murdered Elvis and Who Murdered FDR, and now he's tackling the death of Princess Diana, who died in a car crash in Paris in August of 1997, along with her boyfriend, Dodi Fayette, and their driver, Henri Paul. We'll get to that conversation in just a moment. Just a reminder, if you haven't already done so, please register at strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then you'll start receiving my monthly newsletter, The Inner Sanctum, and it'll be delivered to your email inbox every month. It features previous guest spotlights, a book club, my podcast pick of the month, my monthly brief, and more this day in uh, conspiracy history. The Inner Sanctum, yours free by registering at strangeplanet.ca. And once you register, you'll also qualify for the monthly draw for free Strange Planet merchandise. Carlos Cagina is my technical producer, filling in for Owen Wolf. Ryan White is my live stream producer, and we are live streaming tonight on my YouTube channel. Get on up to Strange Planet at uh, the YouTube and... Make sure you hit that red sub button. A new book is claiming that the accident that led to Princess Diana's death may have been planned. There was, apparently, a plan to kill the Princess of Wales. She was gravely injured, of course, in a deliberate car wreck, my guest says, in the tunnel underneath the Elma Bridge in Paris, France, and allowed to slowly bleed to death. There have also been conspiracy theories suggesting that Henri Paul, Princess Diana's driver, was involved with MI6 and that the British Secret Intelligence Service caused the accident. However, French investigators say they found no evidence involving the British state or the royal family in the accident. Princess Diana's former royal butler, Paul Burrell, previously said he suspected Princess Diana, suspected Prince Charles of plotting an automobile accident to kill her and eventually marry Camilla Parker Bowles even before her car crash. Steve Ubaney is an American suspense author who reinvestigates the deaths of famous people using his newly discovered facts that debunk historical claims. His books deduce that some of history's most famous deaths were actually murders. Previously, Steve published Who Murdered Elvis and Who Murdered FDR, and his latest is Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design. Steve Ubaney, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Richard Serrett, it's nice to talk to you again. Delight to have you back. So this this um, topic has been covered by two official investigations. There was the Lord Stevens investigation. Previous to that, there was another one. Uh, where did you dive in here in, in terms of your investigation? How did you approach this topic that has been it's been covered pretty extensively? But you, what did you bring new to the dance? Let's say let's put it that way. Well, the people who have interviewed the, or uh, investigated this beforehand, got to the point where they said, oh, well, we found evidence that the royal family did it or was involved, and they stop. That's where my evidence, that's where my investigation starts. So I pick up where everyone else seems to have stopped. What got me involved, 
uh, in this, I knew immediately. You know, you had these moments in Indelified in your mind where, you know, people know who were alive when JFK was shot, where they were. Uh, and Elvis Presley, of course, I was on the planet for that one. You know where you were and what you were doing. When Princess Diana, when I got word that this happened, I was in the pool with my girlfriend in Las Vegas. My neighbor came out, and uh, I knew immediately something had happened that was that was uh, very suspicious because about two months beforehand, she was on a landmine campaign. And she was starting to get involved in international politics. So those two things didn't wash for me. So I knew immediately something was wrong. Um, it's been covered extensively, but it's been covered by confirmation bias. Kind of paralleling um, the Warren Commission report. You know, if you if you only look at the evidence that brings you to the conclusion that you want to have a conclusion to, you're going to come to that conclusion. But when you look at the whole body of evidence, you can come to different conclusions. So uh, it has been covered, and they did the Paget report, uh, which was the the uh, conclusion of everything that they had done. They opened it twice under commission of the royal court, <laughs> operative word royal under yes, commission yes. of the queen. So I uh, I was on a show you know last year, and uh, it was right after we did a, I think our last show. We've been we're all buddies. We've been uh, on the air a bunch of times for those of us who don't know that. Uh, I think this is our my ninth interview with you or something crazy like that. Anyway, we did. It was right after the last time we were on together, and um, I was I don't always end up the first guy on the show. Usually, sometimes there are people in front of me, and I have to wait. You know. And um, sometimes it's crazy because they're crazy people talking to this Loch Ness monster on a two-way radio, and then I have to wait, you know. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and sometimes sometimes it's really fascinating. Well, the guy who was in front of me on a show, the guy's name was Jack Firestone. And him and his, his wife, Robin, and his, their son witnessed the crash. They were in the Elma Tunnel. They were in the Elma they Tunnel were. that night. They were wow. Americans. Right, they were Americans on vacation in France in Alma Tunnel, witnessed the crash. Go to the French police, give a full report to the French police. That report was never turned over to the British government. So we started to dig a little bit. There were 11 or 12 such instances where eyewitnesses to the crash had given their uh, their testimony to the French police, and it was discarded. So, you know, so I they hate were the never word. they were they I were never it. asked to testify. In other words, at the Stevens inquiry or the the one previous. No, when they called up all the witnesses, quote unquote witnesses, these people were never called to the first one. And you know, they're kind of wondering. They called each other. You know, did you get called? No. Did you get called? No. You know, so if they're investigating the full body of evidence, these people should have been called. And what did they the see? Threat. You you so you spoke to them. What did they see? Definitely something different than what was being reported. This uh, white Fiat Uno that everyone is talking about that is supposedly the culprit, and there's a new book out now called uh, Princess Diana, a Case Solved, or something by Dylan Howard, who's a good researcher. I know. You know, they yeah. found that they found the driver to the uh, to the white Fiat Uno who collided with the car, and this and that and the other thing. What they're all reporting is that they're. <laughs> The paparazzi had nothing to do with it. They were five minutes behind because the uh, Princess Diana 
boyfriend, bodyguard, and driver, Henri Paul, exited from the back of the hotel, not the front. So the people who were in front are still waiting for them to come out. They exited to the back because they were trying to escape the uh, the pitchers and the faldera, you know. Right. So they're already in the tunnel before the uh, paparazzi. I don't even do they even use that word anymore, paparazzi. The people who take pictures so. of famous people, I guess. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, they were they were way behind because they had to figure out. Well, they're not coming out. There they are. So they were way behind, and of course. The stories leaked that the paparazzi caused this and that and the other thing. And um, the witnesses in the tunnel claimed that there were motorcycles, one in front, one on the side, or two on the side, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was two and one in back. And they're the ones that basically, at a high speed, crashed the limousine. And this Fiat Uno was less involved than everyone is making out. Well, there so, was uh, there was the, the white... Fiat Uno, according to, uh, I'm not sure if it was the Stevens inquiry or the, the one previous. And, uh, it came up then that the French police had interviewed this Vietnamese security guard who was, who was supposedly one of the driver of the white Fiat Uno. Uh, and they said that according to forensic tests, the, the paint and the rubber on, on his car, again, this is the Vietnamese security guard who was driving a white Uno. It supposedly matched the traces found on the Mercedes. But then, we had uh, another version of that, and, and that was, I believe it was, um, uh, well, Richard, I'm not sure if Richard Tomlinson, who was a former British spy, revealed this or someone else, but that ac- according to the other version, the driver of the white Fiat Uno was um, somebody named Addison, who ended up, what, di- uh, they found him in a burnt out, uh, the remains of a, the, the, the Fiat Uno in the woods somewhere in France, I think, with a, with a, a bullet, uh, in the back of his head. Yeah, he was shot twice in the back of the head and his body was burned. Right. You know, it happens, right. happens to everybody, Richard, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, I mean, this is just everyday thing here, you know. So, so who was, who was the driver who, according to your research then, was it the Vietnamese security guard in that white Fiat Uno in the tunnel or was it Addison? I find it hard to believe that it matters. They're not the ones that caused the accident or killed anybody. I mean, right. they might have hit the car on the way out, but you know, this is this is why my evidence, my research is a little bit different. Um, I I don't care if Bigfoot was driving the white Fiat Uno. I, I really don't care. It doesn't. It's not. There's a bigger story here, and this is what I'm focusing on. Uh, why the French and the British government are cooperating together is beyond me. I mean, these people have had a storied past. They had a hundred years war between mm-hmm. these two. Um, I, I just can't imagine why one is covering from the other. I, and this is where my book is going to focus on because there's an invisible thread behind all of these governments. There, there are people, there are kings and there are kingmakers. Okay. And of course the kings are presidents and leaders of country. The kings make, the kingmakers are the ones that really put them in power. And there are people who are at high levels who wanted Princess Diana uh, silenced. Um, Princess Diana had a very interesting past with car accidents. When she severed from uh, her husband, from Prince Charles, in probably the most, in the craziest d- divorce that ever was. I mean, she was on British television telling everyone he's not fit to be. He's not fit to be king, and she, he, she said all kinds of terrible things about him, and vice versa. Um, the first boyfriend that she had, and I won't mention his name, 
Um, they got caught uh, screwing around by another security officer that she had. It was reported. This guy was immediately transferred to another assignment and died in a car accident. 1995, Princess Diana is driving an Audi. Brake failure. She almost died in a car accident in 1995. So, you know, it's interesting how these car accidents and these problems keep surrounding this person and all of the people around, not all of them, but a good percentage of the people around her. What's interesting, what I find really interesting is, <laughs> well, the whole thing is kind of interesting, but Paul Burel, the butler, so Princess Diana, yes. who was really there for her through thick and thin, and he, he wrote him a letter. My husband is going, I'm going to buy, die in a car accident, blah, 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 gives him this letter. This letter never makes it to the inquest, If I'm, if, unless I'm mistaken. They never saw this. This went to Scotland Yard, where it was filed away in a safe, and then it came right. out. I think there's after. a couple of letters. Yeah, she, I think she wrote one to Burl, and then she wrote another one uh, to her, um, another one in her barrister. Her attorney uh, sent that to Scotland Yard, where it, I think it remained sealed during the, the Paget inquiry or the Lord Stevens inquiry. You're right. Well, right, absolutely. Let's not include it. Um, and you're right. You know, you're absolutely right. There was her barrister was involved. You have to forgive me. I, I've been up for two days straight. I'm on a writing binge, and authors are often uh, insomniacs. <laughs> so, you know, God knows what's going to fly out of my mouth here. But thanks for correcting me on that one. That's uh, you know, that was that was big. There were multiple letters, and they did go to Scotland Yard, and they were not part of the report. So you, I don't you mentioned- know, I don't know how they weren't part of the report. But this you is mentioned- again, this is. This is confirmation bias at its finest. They're only looking for things that support what they want the outcome to be. Now, you mentioned the motorcycle and the bright light. And again, I mentioned Richard Tomlinson earlier. He was the former, uh, I believe he was MI6. And uh, he talked about how the the murder of, or the, the, um, the bright light on the back of the motorcycle, uh, like a strobe distracting the driver, how that was used in the uh, in an assassination attempt against the Serbian president uh, Milosevic, and he said that it was eerily uh, similar the the uh, details of how Princess Diana may have been taken out. Absolutely, I mean, you <laughs> is, is Richard Tomlinson still with us? I believe so. I believe so. Because I, I've tried to contact him on a couple of occasions, and I I didn't know if he was still with us or not. He, he's got to be up in age now, isn't he? I'm not sure, but uh, if he is alive, I'm sure he's keeping a a pretty low profile. But uh, this was a – I believe he said it was an MI6 plot to kill Milosevic. And again, it included a a bright flash in a tunnel. Um, What else else sort of doesn't add up for you during that trip to the tunnel, uh, through the tunnel? Oh, boy. Uh, How much time do you have? Um, (laughs) You know – they get there, and they're they being the the EMTs, you know, they're they're called. They get there, and it's like the Keystone cops get there. There's already a doctor on the scene. A, a passerby was a doctor who was administering to the people in the uh, in the crash. Dodi Alfied and the driver Henri Paul were killed immediately. Um, and the uh, the person in the um, uh, in the passenger side front was uh, the bodyguard. His name's escaping me. Oh, Trevor uh, Reese Jones. Trevor Reese Jones. Go. 
There you go. See, you're sharper than I am tonight. Look at that. He had his face ripped off, and he had multiple surgeries to, you know, remain, you know, human looking. I mean, this guy really, really got tore up bad. So he's administering to, uh, you know, the the passenger who's her surviving and Princess Diana. And Princess Diana was talking, apparently. She was talking. She was moaning, but she was conscious. So the the um, emergency medical squad show up. The doctor says, okay, you've got it. See you later. They take over. He leaves. And they fiddle around until, you know, it was like it was an hour and change before they got Princess Diana to, uh, to a hospital. This is insane. This is insanity. You know, you have... They passed two hospitals, closer hospitals, getting her to the hospital. It just defies all logic. And right. I mean, I, they claim they, they have this different protocol uh, in, in France where I think they call it stay and play, where they try and stabilize the patient uh, before they get to the hospital, whereas I don't know what we call it in, in North America. I think, I think it's called scoop and run or something. You, you take that person, you get him in the back of an ambulance, and you race to emergency as fast as you possibly can. Well, I'll tell you what. The speed of the ambulance has nothing to do with what's going on in the back. The ambulance driver has he has one job to get the patient there as fast as they can. And what's going on in the back, you know, that can go go at any speed. You know, I mean, that's what they're trained to do. And the fact that they're stopping along the way and making excuses for them stopping, taking an hour or so to get her, it's just it boggles the mind how she was the least injured. And ends up ends up dying in this. I mean, so all of that combined with suspicious flashing lights. The cameras were not working that night, which was it's, convenient. Yeah, uh, isn't that always the case? Uh, just uh, the, the, we're just coming up on a break here, but you mentioned the cameras. So I'm I'm, I'm not sure how many cameras were supposed to be inside Alma Tunnel, but uh, none of them are working. It, uh, how do, does that sound familiar? None of the cameras that are pointed at Jeffrey Epstein in his holding cell are working. The cameras surrounding the Pentagon, the most defended building in the world, were a lot of them weren't working. It's kind of a common theme, isn't it? It really is. And when we come back from the break, because I know I put up against a hard break, when we come back, I'm going to talk about how all of these things tend to be the same. The cover-up in this is very similar to the cover-up in the Kennedy assassination. So we'll, I guess we'll talk about that when you well, get. Well, we we have about a, we got about a minute here. Um, you've you've piqued my my interest. How uh, how similar? Give me for instance how it's similar to the JFK. Just a one, and then we'll talk more on the other side. The hastily sanitized death scene. John Kennedy is in Parkland with his head blown off. The Secret Service is out there. We have a crime scene on our hands. They're washing the blood splatter out of the limousine. Right. Case right. of Princess Diana. She barely is at the hospital. They're already they're already washing down the evidence and reopening the tunnel. Really? How, I wasn't aware how quickly they opened the tunnel. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't look for evidence you don't want to find. Right, right. I mean, the whole thing is just, and again, uh, the the confirmation bias. You know, there were two guns found in uh, in um, the JFK assassination. The first gun found was a Mauser. The second yes. gun found was a Manlicker Carcano. Okay, evidence. We can't talk about the second gun. We have a second gun. We have a second shooter. They have pictures of it, but we can't talk about it. So let's just exclude that so we can come down to one conclusion. Same thing with Princess Diana. There was evidence, again, given to the French police that was missing. 
So all of these things have, in Elvis Presley's death, all the, the his stomach contents were rinsed down the sink at the hospital. How convenient. All right, we, we will take that time out now, Steve. Stay with us on the other side. More of my conversation with suspense author, historical researcher Steve Ubaney and his new one available for pre-order is Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett with you along with Steve Ubaney and he is... The author, well, this is the, I believe, the third in his Who Murdered series, Who Murdered Elvis, Who Murdered FDR, and the brand new one available for pre-order, and we'll tell you how to get that in a moment, is Who Murdered Diana, A Crash by Design. Just before we uh, we broke, we were talking about, a little bit about Richard Tomlinson, the former MI6, and he is uh, apparently still very much alive. In fact, he's only a year older than I am, so he is getting up there, <laughs> but he's still with us, and uh, his whereabouts unknown, as far as I know. So we were talking about the similarities between the JFK assassination and Princess Diana's death. You talked about sanitizing the crime scene, how they quickly reopened the Elma Tunnel, evidence that was withheld from the French police. Absolutely. I, I want to step in here for a second. This is actually book number four because I did two on Elvis. Oh, that's right. Um, the, the anniversary book. That's right. One started the research, the other one concluded the research. Um, so, yeah, uh, as far as the, there are common threads that go through all of these and, you know, I hate to call myself a conspiracy guy because I don't even like conspiracies. You know, I'm a history detective, and I dig into things that have been revealed and released and uncovered long after these people have died. And I just try and solve these these murders with new evidence that has been uncovered. In the case of FDR, I found a diary that his uh, his cousin published. Her name was Daisy Suckley, and the name of the diary is Closest Companion. In the diary... She's talking to FDR's doctor, and FDR's doctor is saying he's being poisoned, and they have no idea what the cause is. So we didn't know that back then. So I hate conspiracies. I do stumble upon them. I'm not a conspiracy writer, but I know them when I see them. And this one's kind of good. Loose definition conspiracy. Not all conspiracies are frivolous and crazy and foil hat people. The loose definition of conspiracy is uh, two, people, two people acting in concert to perform an act. So it's overly broad. The two words that never should be said together are conspiracy theorist, ever, <laughs> because not all conspiracies are theorists. There are people in court for conspiracy right now. It's a real thing. That's right. So. Criminal conspiracy, right. I always like to clear that up because I don't want to be labeled a conspiracy guy. You know, I don't care if the earth is flat. You know, I'm good with that. So well, I dig into history. Here's the thing, Stephen. A good homicide detective is a conspiracy theorist because he's trying to figure out, okay, who murdered this person? Who benefits? Was there more than one person involved? And if there was an accessory to the crime, then that, then you have a conspiracy. So a homicide detective, I always argue, should be a conspiracy theorist. And an investigative journalist, really, as often has to be a conspiracy theorist. I don't have a problem with the word. You follow the evidence, and the evidence take you where it needs to be, and you get your group of suspects. And in all of my books, I run the suspects through motive, means, and opportunity. And in the end, based on the screening process, you know, we come up with the person. So anyway, getting back to your question, as far as... Um, Commonalities between JFK and Princess Di. There are commonalities all over the place between... Uh, I, I don't really want to go into them and dominate the whole show. That'll all be covered in my book. 
and uh, get a piece of paper and a pen in a second, I'm going to tell you how you can get the book. But to answer your question, Elvis Presley's death scene, okay, they take the body, they take it to Baptist Memorial Hospital. Again, not the closest hospital. Isn't that interesting? Baptist Memorial was not the closest hospital to Elvis Presley. So they broke protocol to take him, or the corpse of him, to Baptist Memorial, just like Diana, not the closest hospital. So they come back, they being EMTs, when they left his bedroom, there was evidence of a struggle. There was papers all over the place. The place was a disaster. You know, it was a mess. They come back, possibly 45 minutes to an hour later, the place is spotless. The carpet's been shampooed. You know, everything has been sanitized and moved, and it's pristine looking. You can't do any sort of an investigation when this happens. Same thing with Kennedy. Here we are cleaning a blood splatter out of the limousine of a president that was just shot in the head. You can't do any sort of a good, uh, you know, a good criminal analysis on that at that point. Same thing with Princess Diana. You know, I mean, here she is. She's barely at the hospital. <laughs> they're washing the tunnel down with, with, a, with a hose and they're reopening the tunnel. I mean, it just defies logic. And it defies logic for a reason. It's meant to be a cover-up. And, you know, in Elvis Presley's case, um, there was, there were three toxicology reports done. The third, the first two showed no codeine. The last one showed codeine at 11 times the lethal level. But Elvis Presley was allergic to codeine. And when I talked to Dan Warlick, who dissected his vocal cords, there was no swelling in his body. So we have codeine in one of the three toxicology reports, but not in his body. He can't right, make this stuff up. up. Same thing with Princess with Princess Diana. The same same thing with with, uh, with her. I mean, all of these things are in play. They all have the same thing. Marilyn Monroe stage death scene. Sonny Liston stage death scene. You know, there's a there's a common thread between all of these people and who they've been involved with. And I'll cover that in my book. I'll cover that in my book. But you know, if Princess Diana, she gets to by the time they get her to the hospital. She's either been murdered in the ambulance or treatment has been delayed to the point where there's no helping this poor lady. Right. They let her bleed out. There's uh, absolutely, oh yeah, there's absolutely no reason. It's inexcusable that she would die in a car accident like that. She was in the back seat <laughs> on the opposite side of the impact. It makes no sense. And it's, I've heard that something that was very peculiar in that the, the bodyguard, Trevor Reese Jones, again, he's in the passenger seat. Uh, Henri Paul is driving. The security guard, Trevor Reese Jones, or the bodyguard, he buckles up, and that's against protocol, which is kind of interesting, as if, you know, he was, ex I don't know, expecting a crash? I don't know. What do you think of that? I think there's a lot. It's very strange. There's a lot of strange things going on. The seat buckles in the car didn't work in the back seat. Did they switch out the car last minute? Was it a different car? To my knowledge, no. Hmm. And then they have the, the uh, Henri Paul, the driver who is an, an MI6 operative, or so they claim, who has bank accounts all over the place worth all kinds of money, and then in, in his toxicology report comes up that he's, you know, he's intoxicated and he's on drugs, and one of the drugs were for worms, which his doctor even confessed he doesn't know where that came from. So, I mean, all of this, again, planted evidence to twist things around, um, it's all the same. It's, it's just a repeat. Once you start digging into these things, as far as I dig into things, and boy, do I dig into things, 
you start to notice these commonalities involved in one thing to the next to the next. Okay, so I told people to get a piece of paper and a pen, so I'm going to tell them where they can get the book. All right. Uh, go to my website. I'm taking pre-orders for this book, and the book is Who Murdered Diana? And the website is whomurderedbooks.com, whomurderedbooks.com. And we just did a brand-new website. We just did it for you. So I hope you like it. Go browse around, ooh and ah, pre-order a book, and uh, I think you'll be very, very impressed. All pre-order books get autographed and numbered. So not all do, not all do, but the pre-orders do, and I'm giving it at a reduced price right now. It's published in May. Uh, it'll be uh, orders that are taken after May will be a little more expensive. So get yourself a book. I think you'll be very impressed with this. WhoMurderedBooks.com. WhoMurderedBooks.com. Uh, you mentioned Ari Paul. All lowercase. All, that's all lowercase. One word. WhoMurderedBooks.com. You mentioned R.E. Paul and the uh, original uh, toxicology report, and there were several, I think, that were performed. And one said, you know, three times over the alcohol limit, um, although uh, people who looked at the, the security uh, footage in, inside the Ritz uh, Paris said that he, you know, he certainly didn't appear drunk. Uh, they also found, this was interesting, they found carbon monoxide levels in his blood, and they were so high that he shouldn't have been able to stand let alone operate a vehicle. Um, so what do you think? They, they, they switched the blood? There was a, a, a theory that maybe the, the blood sample was switched. It came from a homeless person who was sleeping over a, like a subway grate and, or a ventilation system, and hence the carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, that's a great theory. I don't know. I don't, I don't, well, I hate to involve myself in theories like that because there's no way to really prove it. You know, it's a great theory. I'm sure that it was probably, if they, <laughs> look at if this, if this is, um, uh, just like all of the other ones, all of the other deaths that I've met, the commonalities involved in most of these deaths, I'm sure they did alter it. Elvis Presley had three toxicology reports done. Everyone was different. This guy, you know, he had different toxicology reports done. If they, they did this, uh, you know, switched it with a homeless person to, you know, to uh, afford blame on this person, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. They're good at this. You know, in the case of... Sorry, go ahead. In the case of Sonny Liston, he was found, uh, he was terrified of needles. He had a real phobia. Even as Dennis said, you, know, you couldn't give him a needle. He was found with needle marks in his arm, with, uh, you know, with, with dope all around him. There was nothing in his system. Sanitized death scene. It was staged that way. Same thing right. like Presley's death was staged. Same thing like Princess Diana. And what they do is they plant evidence, they plant documents to twist and contort the story, to sell the story and the narrative that, well, people like quick and easy things. You know, well, Elvis died of a drug overdose. Oh, this person, you know, crashed because he was drunk. All right. No, well, I'm surprised. Two, I'm Sorry, surprised. Steven, I've got to jump in here. We'll take a quick time out and come back. Steve Ubaney, who murdered Diana? A Crash by Design, whomurderedbooks.com, to pre-order. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Steve Ubaney is with us for the full two hours, and we will open up the phone lines in the uh, second hour and take questions and comments were you able to get access to Muhammad Al-Fayed or his 
former investigator, retired Scotland Yard officer John McNamara, who did a lot of his investigating? John McNamara is an interesting guy. I've tried very hard to contact both of them, actually. And these people are, they're hard to find. Uh, Jack Firestone, who is mentioned again in the program, he was the eyewitness. He met with Alfied, and I was trying to get an in through him. He can't even contact them anymore. So these people are kind of having a pretty low profile moment here. They don't really want to talk about this anymore. You know, they're really, uh, you know, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because the evidence that has come out recently has shed new light on it that they don't want to discuss. Um, you know, I, I really don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. But there's something radically wrong in, in this, this whole thing. Princess Diana should be alive today. And, you know, that crash, it was a bad crash. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that was, that was a bad crash. That shouldn't have been a failed crash. So. And, conven- and conveniently, uh, well, I don't know. Not surprisingly, on the one hand, uh, uh, Trevor Reese Jones has no memory of what happened because you know, he went through the windshield, as, as I recall. Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's kind of interesting that, you know, he buckles up, no one else buckles up, that's against protocol, and then he claims he has no memory of the incident. Now, um, the uh, the royal coroner who performed the autopsy, uh, John Burton, he said that, that uh, after performing the autopsy, he laid the rumors to rest that Princess Diana was not pregnant. And, of course, many people have held this out as a possible motive that she was pregnant with uh, Dodi Fayed's child, meaning she would have been, um, you know, she, uh, she would have been giving birth to a, um, a Muslim who would have been, I mean, I don't, you know, not in line for the throne. So I'm not, I'm not sure why that would have been a threat. However, that's one of the theories. What did you discover about whether she was pregnant or not? Or does that enter into it? In my mind, no. There's <laughs> pretty good photo evidence that she was with child. You know, I don't know if the photos were, were doctored or photoshopped or what, but she certainly looked like there was at least a 10 or a 12 week baby bump. Matter of fact, I ran this by Dr. Cyril Wecht and I asked him, I said, if this person was pregnant, how far along would you, would you put this? And he forwarded this to someone else who was a specialist in the field because he was not. The answer came back 10 to 12 weeks. She was only with Dodi Alfied for a month. So if she was, and I said if, that was someone else's child. Right. There was another doctor she was involved with, I believe a a physician from Pakistan, who some believe that she was madly in love with, not so much with Dodi. Hasnit Khan. Yep, absolutely. That was his name. And uh, I hope I'm not butchering that name, but uh, his name name was Hasnit Khan. And uh, they were on the outs, and she had always... You know, she was really good with with the public and with the paparazzi, and she knew how to manipulate the cameras. You know, she was. I look at her, and she was like a female Elvis Presley. She could never tiptoe into a, into a room. Every camera was on her. She had the most riveting presence. So she knew how to manipulate the media, and that you know, the, the kiss picture of everything on the yacht and this and that. That was that was all contrived to get this man that she was madly in love with jealous. To get him to come to the, you know, come to the table and take and scoop up what was rightfully his. So she was um, using Dodie to to make Khan jealous. That's my opinion, mm-hmm. and it's it's the opinion of very various other people who are close to her. Um, I think that she liked Dodie. I don't think that she was madly in love with Dodie. So uh, if she was pregnant, she was with him for a month, according to her butler, Paul Burrell. 
a month, four weeks, she was at least 10 weeks pregnant. So the, the math doesn't add up as a motive. So I don't know if anybody else has looked into that. I don't know. Maybe I'm the first. If I'm the first, good for me. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has or not, but, you know, you have to kind of look into things like this. Um, there were other motives involved to get the French and the, and the English government to cooperate at this level. And, you know, they're, they're, like I said, there are kings and king makers, and the king makers uh, had a say in this one. There's, there's something higher than these governments involved who are playing with this, you know. And uh, I'll leave it at that because I'll save that for the book, and it'll make perfect sense when you, when you read it. Uh, and you know what? This is a conspiracy, Richard. I there didn't think go. about it. You know what? You're right. This is a conspiracy. Of There's course it's a conspiracy. There's more than a couple people together, you know? Of course it's a conspiracy. No question. I mean, I see, the way I look at the world is this is just the, wor- the way the world operates. And we like to think that we're far you know, less barbaric than we were during the Middle Ages. But if you look at the way that, uh, that um, competing families would, would vie for the throne, you know, whether you're going talking about the, the the War of the Roses or how uh, Richard the Third would dispatch with um, you know any possible usurper, even a, even a blood relative, he would have them killed. Uh, this is just the way royal families have operated for a thousand years. So why do we think things are different now? I mean, now they don't use a broadsword. They don't. Uh, you know, they they're a little more sophisticated in their methods. But uh, I've always believed this is just the way the world operates. We'll uh, take another time out and uh, come back. Steve Ubaney, the author of the Who Murdered series of books. This is now his fourth. Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design. WhoMurderedBooks.com. Get your pre-order. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Princess Diana seemed to have a, an eerie premonition about her own demise. After separating from Prince Charles, she sent a note to her butler with a disconcertingly accurate prediction. Quote, I am sitting here at my desk today in October, longing for someone to hug me and encourage me to keep strong and hold my head high. This particular phase in my life is the most dangerous Someone is planning an accident in my car, brake failure, and serious head injury in order to make the path clear for him to marry, she wrote. So, that's how Princess Diana predicted her own tragic end. Steve Ubaney is uh, my guest for the full two hours, and his book is Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design, whomurderedbooks.com, all lowercase, uh, the website where you can pre-order. So let's talk about some of the motives. Charles couldn't remarry if Diana was still alive. True? Big motive. Absolutely. There's, <laughs> there's been great authors who investigated this. Uh, John Morton, Alan Power, Andrew Morton, people who have written before me on this. And they do great work. And I'm not going to discredit anybody who's written before me. But my book is a little different because of the motive means and opportunity that I screen people through. So I kind of pick up where they leave off and dig a little deeper. As far as motive is concerned, absolutely that's a motive. You know, there's a couple of other ones that are out there that are pretty big. Well, one motive has been suggested that the royal family didn't approve of her then-boyfriend, Dodi Fayed. But I think 
that it had maybe to do more with a potential father-in-law, if in fact she was going to be engaged, and I don't, there doesn't seem to be much evidence for that. As you point out, she was in love with this Dr. Khan from uh, Pakistan. So the idea that the royal family didn't approve of Dodi Fayed, maybe more had to do with Muhammad al-Fayed, and I guess he was a bit of a thorn in their side. But what do you think of that motive, that the family simply didn't like her uh, hanging around with uh, Fayed? Well, you're, you're right. Um, but I, I want to, you know, there's, you know, we've dug into this. Richard, you did a whole show on this back in the 90s. People don't know this. It was a television show. So you're really well versed in this. So we have to back up a little bit and explain this to some people who are listening who might not know this. These people all knew each other. Princess Diana was not a commoner. Her father was an earl. Prince Charles actually dated her sister. These people had, you know, estates next to each other. They grew up, they all knew each other. Uh, so she was not a commoner. Her father was an earl. Um, she was definitely on Prince Charles' radar when it came time to marry because she was a virgin. So uh, I just wanted to dispel the myth on that. Now, as far as uh, Muhammad Alfayette is concerned, he was definitely a thorn <laughs> to the royal family. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. La- I'm trying to con- contain my laughter here because I just. Uh, I was I was up writing last night about this very same thing. Um, he had he bought the uh, the, the uh, department store chain Harrods, which yes. was which was a big thing in. Uh, and he was not going to be bullied around, or he was not going to play the uh, the royal family's game. So he was in, he was indeed a thorn for them. Uh, marrying into that family was definitely a, a big motive. Definitely a big motive. You know, they would not have wanted to be commingled with, you know, with that. And we also have to talk for a second about what you were saying before the break about, you know, for a thousand years how, how royalty has done this. And, you know, I believe that there were two Chinese philosophers that fought to the death over this question. Are people basically good or are people basically bad? And we have to come to the real, we have to, it's true, they aren't, I don't remember the philosopher's names, but the one who believed that people are basically bad killed the one who believed that they were basically good. So we have to come to the realization in our minds and not be so naive that there are bad people in this world and they do bad things and they try very hard to, to cover themselves after they do it. Um, you know, if there wasn't darkness, there'd be nothing to judge the light by. Okay, so there are bad people in this world who want to do things for their motives. That's what separates my book from some of the other books that are out there. I take these people and I run them through motive, means, and opportunity. And I will show you the people who come through because they don't always come through. You know, some people have motive, but they're not available to do it. They're not in that spot. So I think that that's what separates my book from some of the other books that are out there. But... There's definitely motive all over the place here. Um, how they protect, I, I ran across something, uh, about, it was several months ago. I don't know if we talked about this or not, but how they protect the royal family when they are in a motorcade. They have a big motorcycle go in front of the motorcade. They are lined on both sides with the motorcycles and a big motorcycle in back, all of which are armed. She was no longer afforded that, correct? Correct. But that's exactly what happened. That's how they got the uh, in the um, uh, the Alma Tunnel. That's exactly how they got that right. Get them to steer into the into the into the thirteenth uh, pylon. 
because of the motorcycles and the flash and, and, and steering over. And I don't believe that anybody would be going at a high rate of speed to get away from cameras. I think there was a little something else involved there, which I'll save for the book. It's quite a book. I don't believe, I mean, nobody's going to go 75, 80 miles an hour to full run through a tunnel to crash into a thing uh, when you know, they, they were taking pictures of them all over the place. Um, Dodi Alfied's bodyguards and the people that surrounded him were giving tips to the paparazzi that they were kind of on their payroll as to where they're going to be so they could get the pictures, so they could sell the pictures to the media and make all kinds of money. So they were not shying away from pictures. It's a camera. It's not going to make you go 80 miles an hour into a pylon. So there's something else at play here. So I don't know, like I said, I don't know if anybody has looked at it that way or not, but there's more. There's something more that was going on. Uh, let's talk again about Trevor Reese Jones. He was a, he was a member of the, the crack parachute regiment, one of the toughest in the British Army. He, he completed a couple of stints in Northern Ireland. He served in the Royal Military Police. Just the kind of background that would have maybe put him in contact with members of the Secret Service. Uh, does he come under your spotlight as a possible suspect? I'm not going to comment on, on him um, because I don't I don't want to save that for the book. But well, you got to give us something here because people, he, you know, we're on for two hours. People are listening; they want to hear a little. Song. He was he was he was definitely everything that you said is correct. He was he was definitely a you know he was definitely a bad boy. What I would do is uh, if I were planning this. And I, I believe that Trevor Reese Jones remembers this. Okay, I think it's. I think he's just saying he doesn't remember because he doesn't want to be involved in this. Could you imagine the hounding that he would be under if he remembered details and said all these things out loud? I'm sure that he remembers what was going on. Um, he definitely would know how they would protect the royal family. He would definitely know all the ins and outs and protocols of how they move important people from one place to the next. So. You know, he's he's definitely a person of interest in my book, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And what about uh, the old uh, chestnut, you know, rogue elements within any intelligence organization? And there are rogue elements. We're seeing that play out in the news now and south of the border. Uh, are there – do you examine the possibility that a rogue element, even one or two people within MI6 decided – Maybe on a wink and a nod from someone higher up, you know, she's really getting to be a pain in the royal butt. Maybe we should do something about her, and maybe someone took it to heart. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, these rogue elements are, are they're absolutely true. I mean, and this, this is going on. I'm coming in. I'm not Canadian. I'm, I'm in America. In, in American history, the FBI and the, and the mob have leaked back and forth like a sieve for years, even way before Kennedy all the way up through the Elvis Presley thing, all the way up, and it's still leaking back and forth. And in this situation, I'm sure it was the same. There were elements involved where, you know, Princess Diana was, they didn't know what to do with her. They didn't know what to do with her. The royal family has to hold themselves to a certain level of conduct. You know, they're supposed to hold themselves to a, to a higher class, a higher standard. And here you have her on television saying that Prince Charles is not fit to be king. There are three of us in this marriage. And it got to the point where they didn't know what the hell to do with her. You know, they can't they can't continue being slapped in the nose like this. But there's no no one had ever done this before. No one had ever ever broken ranks like this 
and exposed all of their little dirty secrets, especially in a public venue like television. You know, I mean, this was, they really had no idea what to do. Right, so, that was the Panorama interview on BBC with Martin Bashir, and some have said that that utterance, he's not fit to be king, was the nail in her coffin. What about the possibility that a business enemy of either Mohammed Fayed was responsible and that the real target was Dodi? Did you examine that? Yeah, Dodi Al-Fayed definitely... He was a Hollywood film producer. He had a couple under his belt, and he was good at what he did. But he was also engaged to be married to an actress who he dumped for Princess Diana. So there were some people in Hollywood who didn't necessarily like Dodie. So that's a road as well. There's a lot to this. There's a lot of twists and turns in the people here. All right, we'll take some twists and turns when we come back. Steve Ubaney, my guest, the author of Who Murdered Diana, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. 